You are Locked On Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, welcome into another edition of Locked On Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, the only podcast that breaks down every Heat game, news item, rumor, and more. Thanks for listening on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or on uh, the brand new podcast app, Himalaya. My name is Wes Goldberg, and I'm here with David Ramil. And we've got another installment of our exit interview series. We've done Dion. We've done Goran Dragic. We've got a, a couple of these backcourt guys done. We're going to move on to Josh Richardson today. Um, we're going to talk about his pros, cons of his of his last season, and answer some key questions about Josh Richardson's future. The pros are pretty easy. All of his numbers were up this past year. Career highs in almost everything. Led the Heat in scoring for the first time in his career. So he was, you know, Miami's number one scorer at almost 18 points per game this last season. That's that's where he was, David. That's he was, or I'm sorry, almost 17 points per game this season. It was obvious from the first game of the season that they expected more out of Josh this season. That uh, you know, even with Dwayne back in the lineup. And not really sure what was going to happen with Dion and Goron getting a little older and Justice not really embracing or not ready at that point for his point guard role. They wanted to make Josh the key player on this team. They they focused on him. They they gave him the ball in late game situations and and you know he responded not as well as we'd hoped, but he was put in that situation to succeed and and he had some opportunities there. He had some good games and as you pointed out, he did improve uh, across the board. He had some. Some growth there, um, you know. It, it's it was a weird season for Josh because I think those outsized expectations put a lot of pressure on him, and he wasn't quite ready to embrace that role. Uh, although he he'll say otherwise, I think uh, the products that we saw was indicative that he was not ready to become the team's best player right away. Yeah, it sounds like you're doing cons right now, but um... <laughs> <laughs> I, no, I mean, look, you know, he he was. He was highlighted. You've been you've been on the Josh Richardson beat this season. <laughs> you wrote well. You wrote you wrote the profile on him, which was great. And uh, there was, you know, part of that I, I was whether or not this is sort of if he's cut out for this. And look, I don't think that that should be an issue. Like that that shouldn't be a problem. It shouldn't be an indictment on the player. Some guys just aren't the number one options. There's very few guys who are number one options, and it did feel like the Heat were trying to, you know, put him in a role that he doesn't necessarily fit in just based on like just by default. Like they're like, we're, you're kind of the best scorer on the team. So just go be our best scorer. We're in a perfect world. And now we're, you know, now I'm getting into our third segment, but he would be the second scorer or third scorer going forward. But he did the best he could. I thought with the, the thing, you know, the hand he was dealt this year, he did the best he could with it. He yeah. did. They asked him to be the number one scorer and he was the number one scorer. And I think I, that's that could pros. be good that, for his that, growth. Yeah. Yeah, that is the the pro of Josh's season. I think a lot of people are disappointed. Maybe a lot of people expected a huge leap from him. And, you know, certainly the Heat were looking at him to be the top guy uh, and probably a little bit more productive. But, you know, he he did improve as far as his productivity is concerned. He was the team's top scorer. And I I think that's that's the biggest positive that you can take away from him. I, I think the role was still something a little bit too much for him to handle, but that doesn't change the fact that, he was at least able to make some growth in it. And he was able to take charge. Like he, he'll admit, and he has that. You know, his defense suffered a little bit as a result of him trying to be more aggressive offensively. That he felt a little bit comfortable 
you know, when Justice eventually took over as a starter and the starting point guard, that he felt more comfortable taking a back seat offensively so that he could focus on the defense that, you know, has been his bread and butter for the first three years of his, his NBA career. But at the same time, I mean, he was able to be a versatile scorer. He was able to, you know, shoot the ball fairly well. He, he struggled a little bit uh, on occasion. Um, but yeah. he was still a pretty solid defender and, you know, still continues to be a solid playmaker. I mean, 4.1 assists per game, that's pretty yeah. solid. Uh, and, you know, I think that's... That's, really, that's good. Yeah, and I, and I think that's the thing with Josh is that he is maybe not your top dog, you know, even though you know, a lot of people around him and, and him would say that I mean, he's capable of being that, filling that leadership role, but he is... But, like, not, it's... What is he going to say when people are asking him sure. that, too? It's almost like... Can you be the top dog and be like, yeah, I guess. Like, what does that even mean? What are you the alpha? Yeah, sure. Why not? Like, it's like, no, I really need to be like the second best guy on a roster. No, I like, think no player is going to say that. So no, 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 not second best player on the. I mean, some guys will say, look, we have enough people here that can handle that role where I don't need to handle it. And then you know, look, there is that's part of the problem with this team is, and we've seen this around other teams as well, is that there's a pretty clearly established hierarchy, and whether or not. It occasionally is differential. Look, you covered the Golden State Warriors pretty well, and that that role kind of flitters between Steph and KD pretty regularly. And that's not to say that mm-hmm. Draymond doesn't fill an emotional role as a, as a leader as well. And and Clay quietly has really productive nights too. So I mean, and that's an uber talented group. So maybe the comparison doesn't work. But I mean, I think people understand that you can have that role here. I I just. You know, he can be the team's best player without being its loudest player. He can also be a versatile guy that does a little bit of everything. Right. He doesn't have to take the most shots to be the team's best player either. Right. And uh, I think he would be comfortable in that. Um, look, he his points per game went up by almost four points per game. The, 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 the biggest leap of his career. And it, there did seem to be this sort of sense around Josh Richardson, at least among fans, that he sort of plateaued this year. Mm-hmm. But you look at his numbers, and they all improved across the board. I thought he had a really productive year. And if you get him into a better role, I think he could even take a, another leap. Um, but we're getting into some other stuff. That that shooting, you mentioned his shooting there. Um, his three-point percent, his three-point clip was down this last year. Um, but he shot a, lot a number that I thought was pretty interesting was that his pull-up threes... Right, so where he's sort of, he's dribbling around and he's pulling up on his own, not assisted threes. Pull up threes went from two percent of his total three point attempts to eleven and a half percent this last year. Again, showing that hey, you are the number one option. You're gonna have to go create your own shot. I don't think Josh Richardson is necessarily he can create a shot when he has to, but it shouldn't be a bulk of his offense like it was for really the first half of the season before the Justice Winslow thing started, the point justice thing really developed. So if you go, if I think. You know, you look at his three-point percentage being down, but I think that was a direct effect of uh, his pull-up threes going up as far as the amount of attempts that he had. So you don't think that's the strength of his game or something that should be a strength of his game? I just don't think he should be shooting 11.5% of his threes pulling up on his own. Okay. Like, it did seem like he was forcing a lot of threes. Okay. Does it I have, think he like, could do it. on those? Yeah, probably, but I don't, I don't oh, have any fun. Okay, sorry. Okay. Uh, you know, I, I'm just curious to see because I, I remember, and I'm, I'm drawing a blank as to who his collegiate coach was, and, and one of the things he told me was that even when he was at Tennessee, he was really good at, at, at the, the, the dribble, you know, jumper and twenty nine percent. Well, that's not good. That's not good, and he was thirty nine percent on catch and shoot. So let's get more of those catch and shoot attempts going. Yeah, but then as we talked about in our previous exit interview with Dion Waiters, who is the person? 
driving to the basket to create those opportunities. It's justice. It's got to be justice. Or maybe it's Dion or Dragic next to him. I think either of those guys. Um, I think Richardson could be, he could be the leading scorer on a team where he's not necessarily, doesn't necessarily even have the highest usage percentage. I look at Josh Richardson the way I look at Klay Thompson, where on any given night he could put up 20 to 30 points. But isn't it, he shouldn't necessarily be dribbling a whole lot. Like I like when that's when that's sort of like a bailout offense and stuff like that. Or you know you you post him up a couple of times because he's relatively big for his position or something like that. But I don't know that Josh necessarily needs to be attacking closeouts aggressively all the time or creating for others. I almost like him more. Is that I'm getting too far ahead of us. Um, cons uh, that three point percentage was down. It was the first year his defensive box plus minus was a negative. And you talked about why that was the case. He had to commit so much effort and energy into being the number one guy on offense that he did let the defense slip a little bit. And this is a guy who we were talking about for as an all-NBA team, all-defense all, all team two mm-hmm. years ago and just wasn't really in the – and didn't deserve to be in the conversation this last year because of everything he had going on. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I didn't um... – see a significant drop off like i don't know that there was anything marked there like where we could point out that he was mm. struggling effort or whether or not he wasn't giving 100 percent. like we never questioned that from josh you know what i'm saying like other guys on the team we could say well it kind of slacked off on defense a little bit but i don't think we ever saw that with josh the numbers reflect no. that he was struggling or he wasn't as engaged as he had been in the past but i think there was still effort there there was still chase down blocks there were still steel it just attempts. seemed like he got blown he just he, guys got by him more often than they got by him last year. And I think a big part is he's just tired. I mean, it, it takes so much energy to stay in front of a guy, especially with Miami where their games would get slowed down. You're playing a slower pace. You've got to stay in front of the guy for longer, you know, on the defensive end. And that's just hard to do, especially when you're being asked to create your own shot and pull up 11.5% of the times from three-point range. Like, just hard to do. Let me, let me ask. This might seem like a, a really weird aside here, but how does Kawhi Leonard do it? He's a freak. And it's those New Balance shoes, man. <laughs> That's what it is. It's got to be know. the shoes. It's got to be the shoes. Uh, let's 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 talk about that more after the break. Uh, you're listening to Locked on Heat. This is the ZipRecruiter ad. Hiring used to be hard. Multiple job sites, stacks of resumes. A confusing review process. Sounds awful. But today, hiring has been made easier. And you can you only have to go to one place to do it. ZipRecruiter.com slash locked on. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invite them to apply for your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each and every one of them, spotlights the top candidates so that you never miss a, a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And right now, our listeners could try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash locked on. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash locked on. ZipRecruiter.com slash locked on. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. David, we talked about um, the fact that you hired somebody and it didn't work out because you didn't use ZipRecruiter. I don't want to ever be in a position to hire anybody because it sounds awful. Like I've been, I've been hired to jobs and I've also been not hired to jobs where it wasn't the right fit, right? Like, this is, I just feel like you need to use, I actually was in a position once where I had to interview a lot of people, and it mm-hmm. just seemed awful. Like, we would spend, we spent a day, we, so, in a past life, 
I used I never really hired people, but I was I was sort of the first barrier to get through. You know what I mean? I was like lower level management, mid management, whatever it's called. So I had to just I basically did ZipRecruiter's job where you're just like, no, you're an idiot. What are you doing here? Um, and that was basically what I had to do. I had to spend every Friday for like three months doing that. The whole work day was me just being like, you're an idiot. Get out of here. And just taking the wrong candidates out of out of the candidate pool. We should have just been using ZipRecruiter. It just—it seems like ridiculous yeah. that anybody would ever do that. Yeah, no, I, I agree 100%. It's hard. You know, you go through resumes, you start getting bleary-eyed. You can't tell one person from another. And, you know, sometimes resumes don't tell a full story, but that's why you have a service like ZipRecruiter that makes it easier for you to hire the right person for the job. Okay, key questions about Josh Richardson. The elephant in the room is what? what's his deal going forward, his role on the team? Can he be the number one scorer? Is this something he can grow into? You know, being the top scorer on the Heat, can he just continue to elevate that? Or are we at a point where, okay, we saw what Josh could do as a number one guy. Let's go figure out how to make him, you know, not the number one guy. Let's go acquire somebody who can be the number one guy. Did you see something from him, David, where you could make a, a, a definitive, if you can, if you can, decide that right now or do we still need to see more from him because he's going to be 26 this september um and we kind of have a whole season of him being the number one guy under our belt now i i I think there's still room for growth there and i think not just that there's room there's capacity for growth and i think you know he's 26 that shouldn't necessarily be the point in your career especially in the nba where you stop growing like I, i think there is another level for him to reach we're all convinced now that players have to grow by 25 or have to show us that they're superstar level talents by 25 or else we write them off and and i think that's a dangerous approach to player development and i think even longtime veterans still try to find things that they can fine-tune and perfect and i think a you know a player like josh if there was anything that i took away from talking to coaches teammates friends family etc is that josh is absolutely in love with the work and that was one of the points I tried to make there is that maybe he's not the kind of leader that you want or the leader that the Heat might need in terms of a guy like Jimmy Butler, who they were trying to acquire and potentially even move Josh Richardson to, to acquire. I think Josh leads by an example in a different way in that he is so committed to work and he's so willing to do whatever it takes to get better that that should inspire in its own way. Perhaps more quietly, perhaps a little bit more passively but at the same time still inspirational still leadership a form of leadership and i think you need the guy in that locker room who's just he's just working like you know that if you don't wake up early he's going to be an hour you know he's going to be in the office an hour before you are and that's a bad look on you like you need that guy that's putting in the work that is making all the other people who are not putting in the work look bad and that's sort of i feel like richardson's role you know i i know a lot of teachers my my wife was a teacher and one of the things that they've all consistently told me um is that their favorite students aren't always the guys that get a's it's the, the the kids that that try hardest and may get b's or c's even but it's a, a B and C that they earned 100%. There are people, and I was one of these, that was you know, incredibly, and I know that sounds uh, arrogant as hell, they were yeah. intelligent enough, but they were bored in class and they never really fully achieved to their potential. And so you know, maybe they got A's, maybe they didn't, it didn't really matter, but they were always underachievers. 
Josh is the other type, the favorite of the teacher, because he works hardest. And maybe that ceiling isn't the highest, but at the same time, that kind of work ethic and diligence that, that it's there's merits to that that I think do, as you pointed out, inspire other people around them. I'm not even sure if I'm, I should be on this podcast with you. You might be too smart for me. I am. I am. It's like, just, you're just not even trying. You're just phoning this in, and it just comes <laughs> off as good every time. Yeah, uh, I'm doing my, my I'm doing my hardest right now. <laughs> I had a hard time finding my questions. I couldn't even find them earlier. Um, <laughs> I said that Josh Richardson scored almost 19 points per game. I was way off. Uh, Six can, nine, they're all the same. I mean, come on. <laughs> Just one's you know upside down. Yeah. I don't think that he could be a number one scorer. I think we saw that last year, but that doesn't mean that he can't. You know, the it's cliche, but star in your role. Like he could be better. Yeah. I think there's just because you're not a number one scorer, he doesn't ever have to develop into a number one scorer. He could be better next season, being the number two scorer than he was this last season as the number one scorer. I look at a guy in Milwaukee and Chris Middleton where he thought he was the number one guy. He aggressively wanted to be the number one guy. I don't know if we can necessarily say that about Josh Richardson, but he was the number one guy for a year or two. And then Giannis turned into Giannis and snatched that kind of the claim to the throne, so to speak. And then Chris Middleton made his first all-star game this Mm -hmm. last year as the clear number. It had never been more clear that he was the number two guy. And he starred in that role and made the all-star team. I could see Josh being similar in that way where... If and when the Heat acquire an all-star and they don't have to move Josh Richardson to do so, then Josh Richardson is able to play a more complimentary role. He could get even better, even if he's not the number one guy. And I think that's sort of his future. I agree 100%. And I, I think there are a lot of expectations. There's a lot of pressure, a lot of weight, etc. And, and these things do take their toll on a player. And I think for Josh, you know, without the scrutiny, without the constant, I mean, he, he thrived, you know, with the exception of some injury marred season there. He, he thrived as as a guy that was just kind of blending in. Even as a second-round pick, you know, nobody had the same expectations for him that they did for Justice. And, and Justice has spoken publicly about experiencing major depression as a result. Like, we, we try to see these players as invincible and guys that can just shrug off the criticism, etc. But as he's being called Bustus, Justice is struggling with his identity and trying to understand who he is as a person and not just to mention how how he can become a better basketball player. So there were expectations for justice there. There were not expectations for Josh as a second round pick other than those that he put on himself and he thrived in those. And I think now it's kind of switched a little bit. Obviously there's still expectations for both these players, but Josh is getting paid. He's a starter and he's the clear starter on this team. He's, he's probably still the best player because of his versatility Mm -hmm. and, and capability as a defender. Um, and, and he just needs to he needs to improve, but he does not necessarily need to be the superstar level talent. I mean, he's never going to be Giannis Antetokounmpo, and that's fine. There are other rooms for him to grow into, and I think he can he has capacity for that. And I expect him to make a leap next year, whether or not this roster is altered to the point where they do manage to acquire a superstar player. Well, we're going to get specific about what that role should look like, how Eric Spoelstra should utilize him. We're going to do that after the break. You're listening to Locked On Heat. So what should Josh Richardson's role be? Let's get specific here. We've kind of, you know, we've gotten around there, but specifically, we okay, number two guy. We've established that, right? Number two, maybe number three. What does that look like? Does that look like a guy who is just shooting threes out on the perimeter? Is he just a floor spacer that plays? Is he a three and D guy? Is he Robert Covington? Ooh. Or is he is he Clay Thompson? Or is he where you're? he's allowed... 
a little bit more room to do stuff where you're, okay, go ahead and dribble when you want to. We'll post you up every once in a while. Chris Middleton, same way. Or, you know, the guy who the Heat didn't trade him for in Jimmy Butler, who probably isn't ever... He's like a he's like almost the highest level of a number two guy, right? Like Jimmy Butler, you can't win a championship with Jimmy Butler as your number one, but he's a darn good player or has been. Um, where do you see where do you see his role sort of fitting in here? I think reducing him to just being a, a, a three and D guy undersells a lot of his strengths because I think one of his biggest and probably his most underrated strength is as a playmaker. He's a good passer, and I think he does look to get other guys engaged and and, and to get them and good scoring opportunities. So I think you still have to kind of utilize that playmaking ability and, and being reduced as a three and D guy. just doesn't help. I think I agree. He probably needs to play off ball a little bit more. Like I think there are still expectations now that probably will change with justice handling more of the ball handling duties. And I think Josh is better as a second, uh, maybe a, a tertiary ball handler. Like, he can initiate offense, but at the same time, you know, I wouldn't want him to be the guy exclusively bringing the ball up. And I don't think that we're going to see that role from him. So he, he needs to be a guy who is the guy who gets the ball from the guy who has the ball, who has, you know, who may have looked to, other, to another option first and foremost. And then from that point, Josh is good at creating. And, and you know, he, those are room, there's, there's room for growth in those aspects there. But I think that's still his biggest strength. Um, yeah, you can. You can run offense through Josh Richardson, right? You just you might not want him being the offense. You might not want him bringing the ball up all the time, doing all yeah. this. But you can you can run him off of a screen, get him the ball. He's curling to the basket and he's playmaking from there, right? From on the run. I almost JJ Redick, who plays defense. You know JJ Redick with with the Clippers and even now um, with Philadelphia, they'll run him off of a floppy screen or something like that. He'll He'll catch the ball at the three-point line. He'll either decide to pull up and shoot from there, or he'll just continue along that route, curl down to the basket, finish at the rim, or or just or turn it basically into a drive and kick type of situation. I think Josh could do that. He's somewhere between. He's somewhere between. All right, we don't want you to just be a floor spacer. We don't want you to just be a three and D guy. We want to run some offense through you. We don't want to run a lot of offense through you. Yeah, you know, true. he's somewhere in that weird in between. He's. Clay Thompson, I, I know I've made this like they have the same shooting coach. I think that matters. I think Josh, the do work really? that he puts in, they do. Uh, Josh Richardson, uh, you mentioned the work that he puts in, and yeah. the, given that like three point shooting is so important now that it almost skews all of our evaluations and, and expectations for these guys. But he, with the amount of work that he's put into that three point stroke, you really want to lean into that. I think he could be a forty percent three point shooter, a high efficiency guy, like one of the better three point shooters in the league. There's no reason to think he couldn't. And of all of the ceilings that we're talking about, I think that's the highest. I think as a three-point shooter, he can grow by leaps and bounds still. It's just getting him in the right position to do so. But you don't want him but he's he's more advanced as a playmaker and was more advanced as a playmaker coming in than Clay Thompson was mm-hmm. and even Chris Middleton. So you want to be able to utilize some of that playmaking skill because you're right, I agree with you. It's one of the most underrated skills that he has. I mean, almost 5 assists per game at this point. So that's pretty good. Uh, they got to figure out a way to use that. And I do think that it's a good fit for Miami because, again, drive, kick, swing, drive, kick, swing. There's a lot of opportunities for Josh to do that, but it just doesn't, he can't be the first drive, kick, swing. Maybe he's not even the second drive, kick, swing, but he's able to do it. And I, for Spo, that could be pretty challenging, but uh, uh, that's, that's sort of where Josh is at. To, to answer that question a little bit more specifically, then, assuming this roster does not make any kind of major changes and they bring back the majority of the players, if not all the players that they have. 
what is Josh's role next season? Because that's kind of hard to figure out. But I think I don't know that a lot of our listeners and fans of the team in general would want him to have the same role. I think a lot of people expect Justice to take a bigger role and for Josh to kind of take a step back as far as being the lead player on this team. Do you see, do if, you see it the same way? Can If Justice can, and this is going to be weird, but hear me out. If Justice can be Russell Westbrook and Josh Richardson can be Paul George, that makes sense to me. That makes sense to me, where Justice is not the best player on the roster, but almost has a usage percentage of the best player on the roster. Is almost just kind of elevated to being the best player on the roster just by you know the definition of his role. Mm-hmm. But really, Josh Richardson is the best player on the roster. Really, Paul George is the guy playing at the MVP level. It wasn't Russ this last year. And we saw Paul George star in that position. He played at an MVP. He's going to finish in the top five in MVP voting. But so often, Russ was breaking down the defense. Paul George was, an attack, was attacking an already broken down defense or a slightly bent defense. And he was able to make maximize those opportunities. I think Josh is really similar in that. And Paul George is a great playmaker. And he had the opportunity to do that as a second guy. I think that's the best situation for Josh Richardson, even if you just give just give Justice Winslow the ball for the sake of giving somebody else the ball, and if only to maximize your best player, and that's Josh Richardson. That was Paul George's last year. Interesting comparison. I, I I think a lot of people probably you know shudder at hearing that comparison, given how much. Yeah, we don't want ju- we don't want Justice like throwing up like you know thirty shots a game and making seven, but yeah, be a better version of that. But yeah, right. No, no, no. It, it makes a lot of sense. I, I understand what you're saying though, as far as again. Just like we talked about with Dion, I mean, th- there is a need for a clearly established hierarchy. And whether that comes internally from the players or from the coaching staff, somebody needs to say, look, you're going to do this, you're going to do this, this is how you thrive. And I I don't know why that's been so lacking. I don't know why. And maybe, I mean, we assume that it is because it just wasn't evident and, and players did not talk about this publicly. Um, and, and, you know, Spolster didn't talk about it publicly. I don't know why there's been hesitancy. Well, there's this weird shift because it, the best players on the roster used to be one group, and now it's another group. And it's all the same lock. It's the same locker room. And all of a sudden you go from Dragic and Whiteside and James Johnson being the best guys to, I don't even know that they should be starting. And Josh and Justice and Bam are clearly the best players on the roster now. And And how do you sell that? How do you just make that change? wholesale it's really difficult and i think it towards the end of the year we saw spo actually capitalize on opportunities whether it be Whiteside getting hurt Dragic getting injured anybody where you're like all right well this is sort of my opening to start mixing the pieces around and sort of reshuffling the deck here and, and figuring out you know kind of just re reestablishing the hierarchy with an already set group of guys that, that's really hard that's really really hard to do like you know mid-season midstream yeah um uh, one thing I will say, I don't want to see Josh go to a third option. I think that would be bad. If this isn't, if this is going to be another situation where the Heat are building on their young guys, you don't want to see Josh end up as a second option. You want to see probably Justice as your number one, and then the issue there is, what do you do with Goran and Dion? Mm-hmm. Are they going to be the third guys? Maybe you try to stagger those guys with Josh Richardson, not necessarily with Justice, who we thought, okay, you got to stagger. Dragic and Justice, those are your point guards. I think Dragic is comfortable playing off the ball in a secondary role. I think Josh is comfortable playing off the ball in a secondary role. I think maybe you stagger Justice and Dion almost, and then Josh and Dragic. And that way you're able to just... every Those are kind of your, your two number ones and your two number twos there. Did that make any sense? I'm not sure if that it made did. any no, sense. It did. No, it did. It did. Okay. Yeah, I get that. Huh. Yeah, that's a good way of looking at it. 
And, yeah, uh, we just we saw him disappear when he was a third guy. When you know, Justice Dwayne Wade and Josh were on the floor, or some sort of situation like that. We saw him just fade. He does not do well as a third guy. He does really well as a second guy, and I think that's a good spot for him. And I'm glad you uh, brought up Dwayne's name there because I think that one of the things that we can't we can't undersell is how much of an impact the one last dance had on everybody there. Like at some point over the course of the season, I think it became pretty clear that the focus was as much as it might have been ancillarily speaking on, on making the playoffs, you know, Dwayne got a lot of attention, not just from media, but from fans everywhere where they went. And I think that that changed the dynamic a little bit. You just talked about how hard it was for that transition to happen in the locker room. Here was Dwayne, a guy who left, came back and all of a sudden he's still Miami's most popular player by leaps and bounds, even when he's clearly not the best player anymore. And he's still getting that opportunity to close out games and to make big plays. That's that's tough to figure out. And then you got guys like Goran, who's the team's all-star, and Dion, who wants to be the team's all-star, along with Hassan and others. I mean, that's the locker room situation there was uneasy. And I don't think that it was necessarily tumultuous. Like, we never heard the reports of like actual tumult or aggressive behavior among them. I think there was still enough friendship and camaraderie there where they accepted it. It just wasn't easy to always mesh, particularly. There's a lot going on. There's just a lot. There was Dwayne Wade's thing with, you know, the young players becoming better than the older players with all these trade things happening, guys not playing sometimes. There's just a lot going on. Hopefully that's not the case next year. Thanks for listening, and remember you can subscribe to this show on the new Himalaya Podcast app as well as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. When you get in your car, tell your smart device to play podcast Locked On Heat. Connect with us on Twitter at Locked On Heat or email us at LockedOnHeat at gmail.com. Thanks for spending some time with us today. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for joining me, David. You got it, Wes. Yeah.